We are looking at Acts 15 this morning, and if you recall from Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas had gone out, and they had gone out and they began witnessing in Iconium and in Lystra, and in this, this region that had been known as, as, as Galatia, uh, called Antioch of Pisidia. And as they were in that region, they began to experience persecution. And we talked about how God uses trials to actually build His church. That there was this idea of persistence and perseverance and proclamation that takes place in how God grows His church. Well, this morning I want us to think about just ourselves for a moment, and I want us to think about how do you make significant decisions in your life? How do you deal with those decisions if others are not in agreement with you? Do you make it about the person? Do you dismiss others as lacking understanding? Well, I want us to take that question and that series of questions one step further. How should followers of Christ or spiritual leaders make decisions on doctrinal matters or living out their faith practically when others disagree? You see, truth be told, for many of us, the independence of our culture leaves us feeling strongly about our position without humbly seeking God's wisdom His way and being unified with Christ. And so this morning we're going to actually dive into Acts 15 and we're going to see a picture of how Paul and Barnabas deal with making decisions, dealing with, with strong or important decisions and matters of doctrine and faith. And we're going to see how they resolve it. And the reality is it becomes a model for the way that we deal the same way. That, that God has called us both on matters of faith and practice, and as Christians then matters of living, to actually use this model as a way of being unified with Christ in the decisions that we make. So let's go ahead and read Acts 15 together. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. And this is what it says. It says, For some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he has made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that, there will be, that, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them 
among the Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would take your word this morning, that Lord, that you would implant it on our hearts, that we would hear your word with humility. Father, with that your spirit working in our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would push me aside and it would be you who brings forth the power of your word. Father, prepare each of our hearts this morning. God, may if there's burdens on our hearts, if there's concerns on our hearts, may we put those at your feet. Lord, if there's sin that we know that we're wrestling, may we just confess that to you and lay that at your feet as well. Lord, we rejoice over your grace and we desire to be unified with you in all the things that we do. Father, speak to us now and we ask this in your name. Amen. At the heart of this passage is the idea that godly biblical counsel is essential to making decisions regarding faith and practice in the unity of Christ. Godly biblical counsel is essential to making decisions regarding faith and practice in the unity of Christ. A counsel. Counsel that is for our faith and practice. Now, after sharing the gospel with both the Jews and the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire, Paul and Barnabas had returned to the church in Antioch. And as verse 26 of chapter 14 says, from where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So while Paul and Barnabas are sharing with the church in Antioch, if you recall, they had returned there and they were sharing all that God had done. We're told then in verse 1 that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, basically, this group of men from the Jerusalem church began teaching that faith alone is not enough for salvation. But rather, an individual must be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to experience salvation. I'm already having trouble, guys. Sorry about that. Simply put, they were rejecting the idea that salvation was by faith alone. Salvation had become faith plus works. Now notice what Paul and Barnabas' response is in verse 2. It says that they had no small dissension and debate. In Greek, that phrase, no small dissension, is in the absolute negative form. And it literally can be translated as no small uproar. This was a, a heated argument with those men on the issue of salvation through faith alone. This wasn't just a, let's have a discussion. This was a, a strong, heated discussion. And David Guzik puts it well when he says, In this, Paul and Barnabas show the hearts of true shepherds, to confront and dispute with those who insist on promoting false doctrines in the church. They couldn't just agree to disagree on this issue because it was at the core of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. So how do Paul and Barnabas then go about resolving this issue? Rather than continuing to argue and allow false teaching to create division in the church, they're sent to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And so when making decisions or dealing with disagreement on matters of faith and practice, we see two things. 
when, when making decisions or dealing with disagreement on matters of faith and practice, the first is that we're to seek godly counsel. We're to seek godly counsel. Verse 2 says, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, Paul and Barnabas were godly men appointed for the work of bringing the gospel. They knew it. But rather than continue to debate where there was continued disagreement, they went up and they sought counsel from the apostles and elders at the true church of Jerusalem. See, one of the reasons for plurality of elders in leading Christ's church is to actually prevent false teaching and provide accountability to one another. In addition, as spiritual decisions are being made, it's important to have others who are praying through the decision together and make the decision based upon God's Word. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 12:15 adds, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Or as the NASB, as the NAS puts it, counsel. That, that word can be interchanged there. Advice or counsel. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice or to counsel. See, since there's only two of them, rather than continue to arguing and try to persuade them, they go to Jerusalem to discuss the matter with the apostles and the elders. Verse 3 says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. You see, Paul and Barnabas could speak confidently of the conversion because they had seen the transformation in the lives of the Gentiles. They had witnessed the transformation. They had seen the fruit borne out. It was actually proof of their salvation. A salvation that was gained through grace. A salvation that was applied through faith. Now something happens when they arrive at the Jerusalem church and they begin sharing about God's work. We're told that some believers in verse 5 who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, rose up. And as it's revealed here, it, it says that they told it says it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. In essence, what they were doing was refuting Paul and Barnabas' testimony. Paul and Barnabas were sharing this transformation that occurred through faith in Christ. And these Pharisees are actually refuting it. They're saying, no, 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 they can't really be saved. It's faith plus works. They still believed that they were declared innocent by God by following the law of Moses. Not simply through faith. Notice how the, the apostles then respond. They go and they seek counsel, but it's not just that they seek counsel, it's that they study God's Word. They study God's Word. It says the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. Now that word matter in Greek is logos. And it can be translated directly as spoken doctrine or teaching the Word. When we make decisions or have disagreement over our faith, we need to seek godly counsel and study His Word. It's that simple. That's what He's calling us to do. Now, now part of that seeking counsel is not just going to people that we know immediately are going to have the same opinion, right? We're good at that. We're good at finding people who will side with us. 
We need people in our lives who tell us the truth. And, and those people are people that we have grown to trust that are committed to the truth first. That's why we're told in Scripture that the wounds of a righteous friend can be trusted. Because when a righteous friend tells us the truth, there are times it's going to hurt. There are times that we're not going to like what's being said. And when we understand that God has already made a provision for that, where He says, listen, the wounds of a righteous friend can be trusted, we need to actually receive the counsel of what's being said without turning back and saying, this person doesn't like me, they hate me, they're against me, they're not for me. As elders, when Kelly and I meet together in the past, when Ben was a part of that, we have very direct and candid conversations. The thing that unifies us is Jesus and the centrality to those decisions is God's Word. And from God's Word, we're able to seek counsel and understand that it is His Spirit leading. Biblical counsel allows us to remain unified in Christ. It allows us to remain unified in Him. See, the apostles and the elders don't defer to their opinions or even to their emotions, but rather they focus on God's Word. When we're making decisions based upon faith and practice, God's Word has to be central to what we're doing. And it's not good enough to land on one Scripture. God says that we're to be taught the whole counsel of God. And those counsel of God, that counsel of God has to be brought together as one as we seek the Lord and make decisions. So after studying the Word and discussing the issue of salvation together, Peter stands up and speaks on behalf of the group of the apostles and elders. And what we see are two essential truths regarding salvation. Two essential truths regarding salvation. The first is this. Salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone. Salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone. Now, he gives three proofs for that. Peter gives us three proofs. The first proof is that God gave the gospel to all people. God gave the gospel to all people. That doesn't mean that God has applied his grace to all people, because grace is applied through faith, but it is available to any generation, any tribe, any nation. It says here, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. See, salvation was not simply for the Jews, and it wasn't given simply for those following the law. Instead, it was for all who hear the gospel and believe. In fact, in Acts 10, verse 44 through 45, we're told that Peter had shared the gospel with the Gentiles. And it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How is it grace? Because God gave his gospel, the good news, to all people. The good news being that we are sinners in need of a Savior. 
that the only way to be right before God is to repent and believe on Jesus. Because Jesus took our rightful punishment of death on the cross, the weight of sin, the cost of sin being death, and then through rising again on the third day, defeats death and the power of death, overcoming the power of sin. And it is Christ's life and Christ's blood that is applied to us through faith. But God gave the gospel. You didn't make up the good news. We didn't make up the good news. God gave the good news. God gave Jesus. That's a grace. Notice the second proof. He says here in verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. So He gave the gospel, and He has given the Holy Spirit to all who believe. When you repent and believe on Jesus Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit so that you might live with Him. See, God knows who are His and who are not His. The Holy Spirit testifies to our salvation of His grace. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God knows our heart. God knows our heart, and He has given the Holy Spirit to bear witness to us and to others that we are Christ, that we belong to Christ. Ever have those times in your life where you look back and go, ten years ago, I would have never done that. I would have never thought in this way. I think I shared with you guys that for me, that moment came when I realized that I actually loved people. And that sounds so foreign. But growing up, I was not that guy. People were in my way, and people annoyed me. I'm the guy that likes sitting in the dark. I'm the guy that likes vacationing by myself. What do I need people for? And as God worked in my heart and as I submitted my life to Christ, God went, wow, I'm going to renew your heart and I'm going to give you a love for people. And that's what's happened. That's what He's done. He's given me a love for people. I'm burdened for people. I was always referred to as an emotionless man. Just ask Elisa when we first met. She would never have agreed that I showed emotion on anything. I had somebody ask me one time, do you ever smile? I'm like, why? Shouldn't bother you, right? And I'm not kidding about this. They're like, you're just so serious. I'm like, no, I'm not serious. I just, not a lot excites me, right? And the truth is that God took that, and what was really missing was a joy and a delight that God put in my heart. And then he gave me a love for people and a brokenness for people because it was his spirit at work. Nothing because of Tim Swanson. Everything because of his spirit bearing testimony. And when I look at my life, that's one of the greatest ways that I know God is at work. Not only because he's taken away sin and he's defeated sin in my life, but the other part is that he's given me a love for others that to me is contagious. If you were to ask my family how much I can think about others in terms of 
thinking and wanting to pray for them, being concerned for them. 25 years ago, that wasn't true. We're told here that Paul, in Romans 7, verses 6 through 11, he says this, he says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means, yet if, it is, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death in me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me as th and through it killed me. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, guess what? The Lord was looking at his heart. That outwardly he was looking at his life and he was saying, well, look at all the Ten Commandments I'm choosing to follow. Now, I'm not sure how Paul got to that place of believing that, but it said that when he came to the commandment that spoke about coveting, he realized the true condition of his heart because he knew that what others couldn't see, he could see. The sin that was permeating his life and his heart. That that covetousness had overwhelmed him. You see, the law was designed to show us that we need something other than ourselves. The Ten Commandments were designed to show us that we can't live righteously. It was supposed to be frustrating. Living by the law is supposed to frustrate you. It's supposed to make you feel as if you're a failure. It's designed to show you that you can't live perfectly apart from someone else. That the only way to live righteously and perfectly is through Jesus. God has laid out for us a perfect standard because He is a perfect and holy God. And so when we look at God's standard for living the only way that we can live according to His standard is through Him, through His Son, Jesus. It's the only way. Now look at the third proof that's given here. The first is that God gave the gospel to all. Secondly, is that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. The third is that Christ gives forgiveness. Notice the progression. Gave, given, and gives. Christ gives forgiveness. He's granted it once for all, and even now, when we sin, He forgives. And He gives forgiveness of sin through faith in Him. So Christ gives forgiveness of sin through faith in Him. That's the third proof. It says in verse 9, And God, or He, made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. It wasn't cleansed by good works. It was cleansed by faith. See, forgiveness cannot be earned. Because forgiveness is marked by the peace of Christ through the cleansing of our heart. 
And the only way for our heart to be cleansed is through Jesus. And the only way for Jesus' grace to be applied is through faith. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, by, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's an awesome thing. God is the giver. He's the one that gave, has given, and continues to give. It's a grace that continues. Now, in verses 10 through 11, it says, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now, this is what's unique. We just talked a minute ago about how the law shows us our sin. For it says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. It's through the law that we understand the power and hopelessness of our own sin. But the kicker on this is Peter's nice little statement to these guys. He says this. He says, in essence, I want you to, to, to take note, guys, because... They're going to actually be saved through grace, and we're going to be saved through grace just as they will. So your smugness and self-righteousness, guess what? I just want you to know that the drunkards and the idolaters and, and the people who are immoral and the liars and cheats, you're going to be saved the exact same way because your sin is no better. That's the beauty of it. And that's the beauty of His grace See, instead of allowing the law to show them their sin, the Pharisees added to it and then said that faith was not completed until the law had been followed. Their own self-righteousness was the barrier to salvation, the barrier to His grace. And what Christ has come and said is, listen, it's not for you to make the law or to make more laws. Rather, it is to, for you to submit and surrender to me. There is nothing that you can do that makes you righteous in front and in the presence of a holy God. It is only Christ who makes you righteous. And it is only a grace that is applied through faith. Well, here's the second truth that we see. The first is grace alone through faith alone. The second is unity with Christ and His truth must be our priority in and over all relationships. Unity with Christ and His truth must be our priority in and over all relationships. Verse 12 says, All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Here's the point. This is a non-negotiable. What he was saying here is, you don't get the, the freedom to look at this essential doctrine of faith and say, eh, we can agree to disagree. We don't get that freedom. He says, this is one that you fight for. This is one that you speak up about. This is one that you stand firm on, that you don't allow it to slide. This is one that you hold to. That unity with Christ and His truth must be our priority in and over all relationships. Our focus has to be on unity with Christ. 
This is where we love the individual more than we love the relationship. We love the individual more than we love the relationship. It means that when we hear the gospel falsely proclaimed, that God has called us to stand up and to rightly proclaim it. And that can be uncomfortable. Stephen Cole says this, he says, Don't fall into the simplistic error that love, not sound doctrine, is the main thing, and that somehow we are unloving if we hold firmly to the biblical doctrine of salvation. You do not love another person if you see him heading for eternity under God's condemnation because he's trusting in his own good works, and you don't confront him with his fatal error. That is like watching a person about to drink poison and saying, I love you, brother, but not warning him. The doctrine of salvation, grace through faith alone, grace alone through faith alone, is essential. And I think at times we can live understanding that truth, but practically walking in the power of the law. Meaning that we can stand and believe that it is our actions that make us righteous before God, rather than seeing it as Christ who makes us righteous and therefore makes our actions righteous. That as we submit and surrender to Christ, that the yoke becomes lighter. Instead of standing by and trying to find a set of rules to follow, we're actually saying, Christ, what is it in this moment, according to your word, that you want me submitted and surrendered to? And what is it in my life that is preventing me from letting go and submitting totally to you for your sufficiency rather than trusting in my own. You see, God has called us when we're making decisions on faith or practice to be a people who seek godly counsel and to study His Word. And we're to know that salvation comes. It comes by grace alone, through faith alone. Nothing of our own doing or our own work so that we can't boast. That is the most gracious thing that God can do. If you're trying to earn it, there's no grace in that. And you will drive yourself crazy because it's already been earned for you in Jesus. You just have to apply it to your life through faith. And the second part of that is that unity with Christ must be the priority in and over all our relationships. Unity with Christ. We don't compromise on the essential doctrines that God has given for salvation. We have to see it, that God desires us to be unified with Him. And an excuse or compromise on the essential doctrines leads to death and not to life. So may our prayer this morning be one when we're making decisions, when we're looking through the difficult things, that we would be a people who seek godly counsel, and we'd be a people who study His Word, and that we would be a people who stand firmly on the essential doctrines of Christ, walking in grace where there can be grace, but knowing that salvation is only by grace through faith. Trusting that as we walk that out and we proclaim that, that we are unified with Christ in all things. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that we can come before You this morning and worship You. Thank You for the power of Your Word, knowing 
that as we are a people of you, that we would take this seriously, God. You've given us a model of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You've given us a model of what it means to be a spiritual leader. And God, may we not add to your grace thinking that we bring something to the table in salvation. But God, may we humbly acknowledge that we cannot bring that which is good apart from you. May we humbly acknowledge that what we have to offer you as a sacrifice can only come when it is covered by the blood of Jesus and washed new and made new by the blood of Jesus. So God, may we come before you not as a people in our own sufficiency and strength, but as a people who are submitted wholly and completely to you, unified with your Son, Jesus, walking in the power of your grace. And we ask this in your name. Amen.